But uh, this morning, uh, I just want to revisit a concept we looked at a few years ago. Um, do you want to bring up the first slide, um, is it Grant? Uh, looking at, um, at this idea of different stages of faith. And um, Ronald Rollheiser, who's just uh, my favourite <coughs> Catholic author, said this, the human soul is like fine wine that needs to, be, needs to ferment in various barrels as it ages and mallows. Growing up and, mature, uh, and maturing is precisely a process of fermentation. It does not happen easily without effort and without breakdown. But it happens almost despite us because such is the effect of a conspiracy between God and nature to mellow the soul. How true is that? It's uh, as you go through life, there's certain things that just uh, conspire. God conspires. God and nature conspire together to mellow the soul. Um, and uh, I'm just really aware, as uh, the longer I, I do this job, um, just the beautiful work that God does in hearts. And it just never stops. Like, he just keeps. And um, there's this idea theologically where, when it comes to salvation, that, um, that we've been saved, that we are being saved, and that we will be saved. And what I mean by that is, like, there's a certain point for most of us, and if you haven't done this yet, we'd love to invite you to do that uh, this morning. There's a certain point where it's like, Jesus, your Lord, I want you to, uh, you know, I want to follow you. You come to faith. Um, but then it's interesting that throughout life that there's, this, there's all of these intersections, these crossroads we have where once more we, we really are invited to come to a place of fresh surrender, of, of just going, Lord, once more you are Lord <laughs> over my life. And they're not easy. They're really deep moments. Like there's, there's, a, there's a battle, there's this kind of like, and, and we go through this, to cycle through these seasons. And then one glorious day, we'll see him face to face and he will bring the work to completion and we'll be saved. Hallelujah. Like that's the kind of idea of salvation. And the Greek it captures a lot of that, that kind of journey. And Jesus has this incredible knack of bringing us back to that place of just surrender again, surrender again, surrender again. Um, and it is, uh, it's interesting how, like, you know, nature and God conspire to really form us very, very deeply. God, you know, you've heard this little tweetable statement, I'm sure, many times, but God loves you just the way you are, but loves you too much to keep you like that. You know, and it's so true. God loves you exactly the way you are, like exactly the way you are. Rubbish devotional life, He loves you. <laughs> you know, <laughs> hallelujah. You know, just fits and starts and wobbly all the time. He still loves you, loves you, loves you. But His invitation is to, to form you, to transform you from glory to glory, the Bible says. It's the process of sanctification. And, um, and the reality is that none of us mature without aging. Like you've got to get a bit older and you do get mature as you kind of tick through the years. But you can actually age without maturing. And uh, I've said this a few times, but um, I've got this vivid picture in my mind of the two options of what Sam Harvey's going to be like in his 80s and 90s. <laughs> there's, two, there's, two, there's two Sams sitting in beds in a hospital, and one of them's bitter and grumpy and treats the nurses rudely and, uh, and has an edge to him, and the other one is kind and gentle and patient and filled with the fruit of the Spirit. And the reality is I'm practicing today which one I'm going to be. I want to be a nice old person. I really, I want to be that guy. But that, the sense that, like, that isn't a guarantee. And that isn't a guarantee even if you're a Christian. I've met lots of Christians, tragically, who are in that bed, even though they've gone to church a whole lot. 
Because in their, in, in their heart of hearts at those moments of intersection, at those crossroads, they haven't chosen fresh surrender because it's painful to surrender. It's painful to pick up your cross and follow him. It's not easy. It never, and it's like, and you think you've picked it up and then you've got to pick it up again. And you've got to keep on picking up again. You know, when we moved here, we had to pick up our cross. It was like, will you surrender everything again? And move your life up to a place where you don't know anyone. And, and live by faith, even though you're a nightmare at organising that sort of stuff. And try and start a church, even though you've publicly said that's your idea of hell. And all the rest of it. Will you surrender completely afresh to me? And we went all in again. And it was the best feeling in the world. And, so, and now it's like, well, have I checked that box, God? Can we just say I can do it? And no, he keeps coming back to this thing of surrender afresh, surrender afresh, surrender afresh. He's got an incredibly annoying knack for doing that. But here's the reason why the story doesn't end on Friday, it ends on Sunday. Like if you want to walk into resurrection life, if you want that newness of life, it requires the Easter journey. And so I want to talk this morning. Uh, so, so a lot of people have reflected on the kind of the different barrels that we mellow in. And one uh, was a, a, is this fantastic book called The Critical Journey. Next slide, Grant. Um, and uh, and uh, Janik O. Hardberg and Robert Gulich uh, wrote uh, The Critical Journey. But also I'm drawing this morning from uh, John Mark Comer and Pete Scazzaro who have explored this book. I've read the book, but they've explored it and, and done some brilliant stuff on it. So this morning's talk is like 99% John Mark Comer and, and Pete Scazzaro, 1% Harvey which will probably grow to, to 4 to 5%, depending on the tangents this morning. But so far, it's been Harvey, uh, so we've, we've probably... But this is... So I want to give full uh, recognition. This is just me plagiarising, regurgitating. <laughs> what a lovely picture. Um, uh, the, this stuff, okay? So here's this idea that as we go through life, these different stages of faith that we'll go through. Now, these aren't like linear and clear stages. This is more like a recipe where... There's a larger portion of a certain stage than other stages, and you never really graduate past these certain points, blah, blah. But here's the idea. So first, first idea is this, uh, that the first stage of faith most of us go through, Some, I pray this is helpful. Some of you may probably be like, well, this is a little bit more. Some of you just will be like, oh my gosh, I so needed this, so I'm preaching to you, but... Next uh, slide, uh, I, my click is not working, which I'm, is this, the idea of recognition with God. So this is, I'm just quoting from the book up here. This is where we all begin our journey of faith. The experience of faith at this stage is the discovery and recognition of God. It is accepting the fact of the reality of God in our lives. Someone bigger than us really exists and he truly loves us. This may occur in childhood or later in life as adults. For some people, this is a very identifiable experience, like a moment in time where everything changes. For others, there's a gradual realisation with no certainty as to just where or when the experience began. Either way, we simply know in our knower that God is there. Factors contributing to this experience can either be a, a sense of awe or a sense of need in our lives. So this is that moment where you're like, man, there's more to life. We are more than just biology. We have a soul. There's, there, is, uh, there is a spiritual life. Um, and it could be this emotional uh, encounter with this God that loves you or a more intellectual process. I know people that have gone through both. It could happen at three with mum and dad or at 55 while reading C.S. Lewis or staring at the stars. Um, the authors note that awe or need often bring us to this revelation. Um, uh, there's a sense of there's a higher power out there. And, and, and this revelation leads us to Jesus. 
And Jesus is who he says he is. His claims to be God, his miraculous powers, his rising from the dead, his forgiving sins, these are true. And so it's the sense of we recognise God. And again, if that hadn't happened for you, we'd love to pray that uh, that would be the case for you this morning. Now we move out of the stage if we do two things. We commit to uh, follow Jesus. So we move from that kind of ambiguous, there's a viable universal sort of vibe out there. And secondly, if we join a community of followers of Jesus, the church, Um, And it's interesting that throughout all of the stages of faith that we go through, um, we always progress in community and we always regress if we distance ourselves from community. And again, I've just seen this so many times and I can appreciate why people back away from the church community, particularly when we get wounded by it. But um, it's fascinating. Just, you know, let's move on. So people get stuck there if they don't attach to, to community. Um, and, uh, and we've got some lovely stories in this church. People come to faith, and then clearly God said to them, you need to get into fellowship, you need to speak. The second stage is this life of discipleship. So um, the life of discipleship. So this is uh, best described uh, as a time of learning and belonging. We begin to learn and explore and absorb and put into place our set of beliefs or faith principles. In this stage, we must learn the most about God by association with others we respect and trust. We are apprentices. We need others because we are relatively unsure and insecure at first in our growth and what we believe. The group provides a sense of belonging, which helps to alleviate some of our feelings of fear and even inadequacy that accompany the excitement of new learning. This group begins to give us a sense of identity and security. We start to feel at home with family. We are loved and accepted despite our struggles. It's not always easy, but we are with our kind of people and we have a sense of security and comfort in our place. So at this particular point, it's like learning. It's like, oh man, this is so epic. And it's honeymoon time. And it's like, just give me, like, what do I, what should I do? Whatever, you know, what do I, just tell me what to do and what to listen to. And and this, I love hanging out with these sort of people. It's like, and again, I pray we never graduate past this enthusiasm and this excitement. But who you come under, in inverted commas, is super important because this is kind of setting a whole lot of defaults for you in terms of your worldview, in terms of who God is and who the church, all that sort of stuff. And so we're going to talk a little bit in a second about sometimes we need to undo some of the stuff down the track. And many of us have gone through that where it's like, eh, not 100% sure about that anymore. But at this particular stage, it's like you get into a community and it's just like, yep, give it to me. Just I'm really keen to learn. And this is where, I've banged this drum so many times, but this is where we've got to come back to some basics in terms of discipleship. When you're in this phase, it's like, you know what? Spending time with Jesus every day is what you do when you follow him. And tragically, many of us didn't get that discipleship. And so now we're fighting hard in a culture of distraction uh, to try and reclaim that sort of like, normal life of abiding and remaining in Jesus. But the easiest thing to do is to get this locked in at this particular point. Because I know from firsthand experience how difficult it is to do down the track. And many of us are on that journey, right? Uh, but it's like, no, this is normal. Like when Eli got baptised, from the day he got baptised, it was like, you know, if you want to get baptised, bro, you know what you've got to do? You've got to do your little devos every morning. That's what you do. If you want to get baptised, what you got to do? And so God bless him. He's like, oh, that's what you got to do. This kid doesn't know any better. Don't tell him. Then most of you guys don't. Um, uh, but, you know, it's like, uh, <laughs> no jokes. Um, that was for those listening on the podcast. <laughs> People in the room, uh, sort it out. Um, you know, I love that. And it's like, this is, this, there's some normal things. And if you get some stuff in place here, it really serves you down the track. So you just devour Bible and the books and podcasts and you begin to identify your gifts and start to contribute to others' growth, start, growth, start to, to take care of others. 
uh, where you can get stuck here in this stage is that you can get stuck in black and white thinking. That's where you can get stuck at this particular phase of your discipleship journey, where you can get a like, in your enthusiasm for discovering all this stuff, anyone that's not there is wrong <laughs> or isn't, you know, isn't doing it properly and all the rest. You can get stuck in this black and white thinking. And, uh, and that can be a massive off-ramp where you can get stuck. I was listening to an interview, um, Louis Thoreau, uh, who's a British um, guy that does a lot of documentaries, has been doing an interesting podcast uh, interviewing people, because they're all in lockdown in the UK, interviewing people who'd love to have a chat with, but he's never really had the time to do it, so they all kind of sit down over Zoom and have a chat. So he's interviewing all these very interesting people. And I found it uh, just a great, it's a really interesting podcast to listen to, if you like, you know, what is the... What is the ultra left thinking? <laughs> it's like wow, you know. And just it's anyway. It's, there's a whole lot of interesting stuff uh, in the podcast. But I listened to one this week where this actress um, was talking about her conversion experience. She came to faith, and as she's talking about it, it was beautifully articulate and it was genuine. She's like, man, I just ran up the front to this altar call. I just wept as I discovered there was a God that loved me. Um, she clearly filled with the Holy Spirit. She was talking about, you know, there's a Pentecostal to you about speaking in tongues. She had a like genuine faith and she loved the community and all the rest of it. The problem was that um, as her faith developed, um, she had no place within her faith and in this particular church tradition to be able to put science. What do you do with scientific method and scientific worldview? And so because of that, she eventually, because of this very black and white perspective, she eventually left the faith. She would no, no longer call herself a Christian. And she's like, I'd far rather live in reality of the scientific world, even though, even though you can hear almost the ache in her voice, that, oh man, there's so much beauty and goodness there. And I'm like, you know, I'm listening to this as a pastor. If I had hair to pull out, I would. It was like, no, you know, I feel like screaming. Like, there is some of the most brilliant scientific minds in the world are fervent Christians, you know. And it's like, there's a whole communities of, of scientists that are, you know, and science and theology are not at loggerheads. They complement each other beautifully. And I know that may feel uncomfortable in the early stages of your faith, but trust me, if you hang in there with it, it gets very, very comfortable. It's all G. In fact, it enriches both serve one another and answer different sort of questions and really help each other make sense of the world in which we live, blah, 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 right? So I'm preaching down, yelling down the, to Louis Theroux and the rest of it. So this is where we've got to be careful here so I don't want to get stuck. But then we move on to this third stage. Next slide. Can we show the ones in between as well, Grant? Uh, so th this is the journey that we're on so far. Next slide. There we go. So with recognition of God, life of discipleship, now we move to stage three, uh, the productive life. Again, this isn't linear. This is more concepts in terms of a journey that we take, and it's a far more loose than all the rest of it. But this stage is best described as the doing stage, as it is the period of time where we find ourselves most consciously working in service for God. It's now time to give and return for all that we've received. This is usually a very active stage of our journey. It's positive and dynamic and centered on being productive in the area of our faith. This stage nourishes us because it is so personally rewarding. It operates on goals and achievements and building and creating, which can be exciting, fulfilling, inspiring, and fruitful. We start to feel unique within our community. We start taking on extra responsibility. We feel a degree of confidence because of our experience and leadership often emerges through this, this stage. 
stage. It's lots of fun. This is such a great stage. Pastors love people in the stage. I love you. Thankfully, we cycle back to this in a second, which is really good. But we see this, for example, in Matthew 10, like when Jesus sends out his disciples, the 72, and they go out and Jesus is like, the half is plentiful, the workers are few, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out the workers. And then his great inspiring line, go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. So brave heart, you know, it's like, all right, let's go. They will never take our freedom. And it's like, lamb among wolves, let's go. Uh, and so this kind of epic sense of, of adventure with God and, and we... Um, and we just, we, we, we give ourselves to the, to, uh, to the cause of Jesus and his kingdom. And it's a very beautiful stage. The reality is that uh, most of us don't really want to move from the stage, not willingly. Uh, we want to stay here and make our home here. Um, and uh, most of us do not move. We are moved by, by external forces, either by, the, by God, the hard knocks of life, you can fight this, but uh, that at some point there's going to be this invitation to, to take a journey inward. Um, now, we can get stuck in this productive life stage when our, our lives are run by ambition rather than by obedience. Here's a little intersection. Here's a little crossroads. We're going to literally, at the end of the sermon, we're singing that song, I Surrender All. <laughs> and it's like, because it, this is like, and it's, uh, we, we put our desires in the place of God. Even if it's God's will, we want to live by performance, even sometimes performance in the kingdom of God. And so we refuse to look or consider Jesus' definition of success. Instead, we want to look at society's definition of success. And so this, can you see this? I've seen this, like, honestly, we're, you know, pastors get together and lament the consumerism in church, right? We all have little therapy groups and it's like we live in this very consumeristic church culture. And partly it's because those first three stages, we, it's like there's just a natural momentum. It's like you get saved. You start to be discipled and learn and grow about what that faith means. It's so invigorating. You start to serve and give yourself. And then it's like, uh, I'd like to just stay here and not have to change my life too much more than this, please God. Um, because people don't want to, like we live in this shallow superficial culture and it's hard for us, like that forms us into shallow superficial people, right? Like we read, like we're swimming in all this media that says this is what normal life looks like and like that just permeates our being, and Jesus invites us to something richer and deeper, but it's not actually easy to go there. Um, and so then what happens if you don't want to move past this phase is you will get bored in your faith. You'll get bored because you've been saved and you've, like, you've, learned, you've heard a lot of sermons. Like that first patch, all the sermons are new, right? Everything's a new concept. And it's like, oh my gosh, I never thought about that. It makes so much sense. Oh my gosh, it's amazing. And then like you start serving it. And then after a while, like, is this it? Like literally, like is this it? Like and you, and I've seen again. Like this is why Upper Click fills like the um, the guys group that meets every Thursday morning thrills me. It thrills me because here's guys that are moving onto a journey inward at a crucial intersection in their lives, where it's like in that stage of young family and career and busyness and all the rest of it. The intersection is. I either have to keep pursuing the goals of society and the secular culture in which I live, which will not satisfy but will demand everything of me, 
or I will choose to pursue Jesus in a new way, in a deeper way, and in a way that's not dependent on the crowd. I'm going to form something a lot deeper that's, that's a, a deep private world with Jesus, an inner world with Jesus. And this journey inward is, uh, is not easy to do. But I'm, I love, I adore Thursday mornings because I'm like, here's a crew that if I'm really honest, I was nervous about a couple of years ago in terms of this stage of faith. Will they make that transition to the inner journey? And yes, and yes, and yes, we want it, we long for it, but we need to uh, have a, a framework to understand that this is an intersection that's super important. Um, God invites us to this, this journey inward. So stage four, uh, the journey inward. This is a deep and very personal inward journey. It almost almost comes as an unsettling experience, yet results in healing for those that continue through it. Until now, our journey has had a very external dimension to it. The community of faith, serving in our gifts, leading others in productivity. Upon entering this stage, many people, though, experience a period of questioning, exploring, doubting, and even uncertainty. This can, cause, this can be caused by a life or faith crisis. For the first time, our faith does not seem to work the same as it has before, and our answers seem inaccurate inadequate, leaving us feeling quite vulnerable. Some people refuse to engage fully with the stage. There's a there's this, this place of questioning and, and falling apart and doubting. And, and it's a time of introspection. Often it's healing. Uh, it's it's uh, working through how our history has impacted us. So this is often a time where you're like, I, I'm going to take the journey inward and I'm going to begin to look at how my family of origin have shaped me good and bad. I'm going to start working through these major things that have happened in my life that have deeply shaped me and impacted me for good or bad. And I'm going to work through them. I'm going to work through the rejection or the grief or that, that, that king hit that came health-wise or whatever it may be. Um, and it's a time where, um, where we can doubt. Because often it's like these things hit us and it's like, whoa, I thought you were kind and good. And what the heck's going on? And where are you? Uh, often uh, writers have talked about this idea of the dark night of the soul, this thing of like, where are you? Like God isn't absent, but it, he feels like he is. And it's like, where the heck, what's going on here? And this, this causes us to have to, to, to go deeper. Uh, the interesting thing, and uh, I want to do a whole sermon on this one day, about the place of, place of doubt within our faith. I've had some lovely raw conversations in recent times of people resting through doubt. And I'm like, that's Awesome, like Jesus' disciple kind of did that, you know. Thomas, who's actually a hero, he's honest Thomas, he's not doubting Thomas. He just said what probably a lot of the dudes were thinking. At the same time, Thomas has some of the most profound statements of faith ever uttered by the disciples. Doubt and faith are two sides of the same coin often. People hungry and wrestling. The book of Job is in there, the book of Ecclesiastes is in there, the book of Lamentations is in there, two-thirds of the Psalms are laments. Like we we in the West, we've got to have the answers, and but but actually we are a part of an Eastern faith, right? It was birthed in a culture that was not Western. That's a nicer way of saying it because everyone's freaking out. <laughs> Where mystery was part of it. Where mystery was part and parcel of what of the mystery in the, of God. Uh, and, and it's interesting with Jesus, the second temptation was to persuade everyone that he is God. Show them, show them. Like, it's interesting, temptation is often a good idea. All of the temptations, like the devil couldn't tempt Jesus with overt evil. No way. So what does he do? He tempts him with some good ideas. Shortcut the, pro how often is that the case, right? 
How many of you guys know a bit of resonance in the room, right? It's like, man, it, it, that, like, and then you've got to have the discernment to see past it, which Jesus does. But the interesting thing is that, uh, that for Jesus just to prove that he's God would eliminate faith, the, the need for faith. Um, and so uh, the capacity to believe or doubt is what creates space for us to be free and authentic beings, not robots controlled by God. Right, So the sense of us wrestling with this stuff is so good and healthy and you do not need to fear. Keep talking to him. Keep engaging with him. Throw every single question you've got at him. He's not afraid of your questions. If the Bible says anything, it's that. The one thing that breaks his heart is when we stop engaging with him. Like, let your doubts propel you towards God, not away from Him, and wrestle with Him and engage with Him deeply. This is the inner journey most of us don't want to take because we're fearful that it's going to somehow prove that our faith isn't real, but it won't. It will lead to a deeper faith in Him. It's a, it's a deeper journey. John Foreman of Switchfoot fame um, has released a brilliant solo album in the last week. And the song that seems to be getting the most feedback is his brutally honest song called Jesus, I Have My Doubts. There's just, it's Stunning. It's theologically brilliant. It's biblical. And it's just, uh, it's good that artists like that are doing what artists should do, putting pen to paper and melody and song around the universal human experience of wrestling and sitting with doubts. And so you've got to work through stuff on this inner journey. Uh, And sometimes um, it can look a little self-centered. Our outer world maybe look fine, though sometimes it's a mess as well. But our inner world is normally a real mess. There's a lack of clarity, direction. You're dealing with deep stuff. Um, You're dealing with living out of this false self of like, everything is awesome when it's not. And it's like, actually, no, you know what? It's not awesome. And you start kind of dealing with that. healing from the past, processing in the present, and in that receiving new dreams and hopes for the future. Now, in this stage, often uh, uh, we hit what the writers call the wall. Um, And at the wall, so the wall either causes the journey inward or it comes as a result of the journey. Does that make sense? We hit these walls. And what I mean by that is this. We hit a certain thing where it's like a pain we can't get around, the death of a loved one, diagnosis in our own body, divorce, a failure. Like something where you're like, I just can't sweep that under the rug. Like that, there's a hurt or wounding from a church experience, a failure of a business venture. You just can't arrange it. You you can't erase it. Sorry, you can't get around it. You can't manipulate it. You can't spin it. Something enters our life that we can't ignore. This, uh, so who's feeling encouraged this morning? Like, oh man, this is deep. Like, yeah, okay, there's a lot of people that are encouraged, which is good because you're like, this is the journey we go through. Now, Um, we're all at different stages of this journey and no stage is better than the other. But this is a particularly tough stage and and this is why I wanted to preach about it before we jump into some other stuff because it's helpful when we've got a paradigm for this that that people have been writing and thinking and praying around for years and you see this all throughout the Scriptures as well. Um, But when it comes to these moments, the only way out is through. The only way out is through. You don't get around your grief. You don't medicate your grief. You get through your grief work. On one sense, you never actually get over it. You never do, but you get through it. And uh, prior to us accepting this deeper inner journey, we can numb some of these things in our life with Netflix and activity and um, or maybe, you know, whatever, um, cheeky extra vino or whatever it may be. Um, but at this particular moment, it's like, what do I do? It's again, it's another intersection. 
And, and this is where you can like, I'm out I, in terms of my faith, I'm stopping. Or some people just regress and it's like I'm just, you know, um, backsliding, such a great metaphor. Just stop and picture it. Um, <laughs> uh, or you can progress forward. Um, and the invitation is to humbly accept that we are ready to learn about true freedom. Listen to this, the liberty to live without grasping. The liberty to live without grasping. In a, in a profound sense, more than ever before, we have to let God be God and let him direct our lives. In this moment, it's like the brutal reality that you are not in control begins to just really sink quite deep. You know, we just struggle to control it. And then these things happen, and it's like I have to accept that I have to let God be God, and I have to learn to, to live in this place of freedom without grasping. The wall sucks. And I'm just, if you're going through that stuff, I'm sorry. Like, lame burgers, man. Like, it's just stink, and it's really hard. Um, but uh, the invitation is that you would surrender your will to God to be healed and accept the reality, just the brutal reality of your life with joy. It's interesting, in John 21, verse 15 to 18, Jesus talks to Simon Peter, and he's talking to him after he's betrayed him. And Jesus says this very familiar passage, and I'm sure you've heard of before, where Jesus uh, says to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, Jesus is holding up a fish at this moment. Do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than the career that you've got outside of following me? Because they'd all gone back to their old jobs, you know? Do you love me more than these? And, uh, and little crossroads. And Simon Peter, God bless him. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs. Care for my people. Care for my people. He says it three times, uh, healing this denial that, that Simon Peter did. And then it says, Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? Interestingly, that in the healing that Peter experiences, there's pain. It hurts. Like when we go through the wall and when we navigate through the stuff, it's deep, it's deep stuff. And actually, I've talked about this before where you've got to hug the cactus, where it's like, these, some of you are like, I was not at that sermon, I have no idea what you're meaning. <laughs> this idea that you've actually got to, you've got to go back to those places of pain, but this time you, you go with Jesus. But it's very painful looking at those times in our life that have deeply impacted us. So it's very painful when we acknowledge the brutal reality of our situation. It's painful, but we don't do it alone. We do it with Jesus. We do it with Jesus. And so um, we move to this next step when we accept the reality of our lives with joy. We just accept. It's one of the hardest things we ever have to do. Scott Peck said this mental health is dedication to reality at all costs. Is dedicated. So in this moment, there's this place where you come in your faith journey where you're like, this is my body, <laughs> dad, bod, and all. This is my story. This is my wound and my failure. This is what I've done. This is what's been done to me. This is my marriage. This is my singleness. This is my gifting. This is not my gifting. Like, it's the hardest thing we'll ever do. Reality is really tricky. <laughs> but it's the most liberating and healing and life-giving things we will ever do with Jesus is walk through with him in this deep, in this deep stuff. Now, we can get stuck in stage four if we, if we move to an unhealthy level of introspection uh, where we move towards narcissism, or we can get stuck deconstructing and not move to a place of reconstruction and trust. We can get stuck in limbo as we kind of work through the stuff, maybe even theologically, that wasn't very helpful in our early years. 
and we can and like it can become not deconstruction but demolition and the building comes down, nothing gets rebuilt. I think when it comes to processing this stuff, you've got to treat your life and your theology and all that you are like a fine painting that needs to be restored. We need to gently wipe away the grime and the things that have held back the beauty of this picture. And we need to be very gentle but intentional with that. Um, the danger here is people can get stuck in a bit of limbo and, it's, and people are switches and searches we talk about. The idea of switches, people just jump. It's just too uncomfortable. So they jump from community to community, which is really good because short-term community is really easy. <laughs> but there is often sometimes the people in idealism that no community or leader can live up to. Community is hard and no leader is perfect. And when you work through that deeper stuff, you just you, it's important you stay connected to community more than ever and you hang in there with your crew. Um, and, and so you can, if you're switchy, it's like you're actually not moving on with your journey, you're just moving around, and this moving around gives you a sense of progress even though you're not working through the deeper stuff. And this, the second is searches, switches and searches. So people who just go so far where it's like then you just begin to search for absolutely everything <laughs> that you can possibly work through and you never move through again to a deeper place. And I've seen many people, Peter, off detached from community of faith and deep connections to Jesus as they do this. I encourage this journey, but I'm like, stay connected to the crew. Stay connected to Jesus. And, and through it, somehow cho- keep choosing Jesus. Another intersection. Matt, we're going to need you to sing, I surrender all, with normally with tears. And it's like, this is brutal, this is painful, this is reality. I still choose you, Jesus. I still choose you, Jesus. And so this is, this is when things get so rich this is the journey. This is like, that's all sounded pretty grim so far. Here we go, friends. This is where we're tracking, right? The, the stage five is the journey outward. Listen to this. <laughs> once, this is the author said, once parts of the deep, excruciating inward journey have been experienced, hallelujah, the natural outcome is to venture outside of one's self-centeredness and back into the active world with a new sense of fulfillment. This is the outward journey, a venture outside our self-interest to others, based on the growth and peace of mind we have experienced from the inner journey. This outward venture may or may not be different from our previous direction, but our focus is different. Our focus is outward, but it's from this new grounded center of ourselves. We have been changed. We have experienced a new wholeness. We are aware of our faults and have a fresh desire to be in God's will rather than our own. We know we are surrendering to a much wiser, more vital spirit. We sense a looser grip on ourselves and a willingness to be conduits for God's work in our lives and others' lives. We endure suffering gracefully because our confidence is in God. There's this lovely calmness and centeredness to people that have gone through this. They know who they are. They're at peace. We've got so many people like this in our church. It's such a joy. It's such a joy. I've, you know, as I've been going through the, the sermon I, at this point, and I was just beginning to think of all these people. I'm like, man, gone through suffering, pain, and and yet. Thus, some of our most servant-hearted folk in our church, not because of the new enthusiasm they've got because of they've been around the blocks for decades and decades, and yet they just have the sense of of um, of peace and they're, and they're filled with joy. And, and it says here they endure suffering really well. Um, Beth Kitty, I want to honour you. That's you. That's you right now. Just all over, all over. Marie, you're another one. You know, there's a whole lot. Jake and Amy Maunder right now, wisdom and maturity beyond the years as they go through a real suffering season, but the joy and the sense of peace. And 
Um, and the growth at this stage actually looks a lot like resting, accepting our, our wounds that they're part of our story rather than working and fighting. And in this place as well, I love people like this because there's such a natural propensity towards discipleship. Like maturity in Christ is when you're fruitful. And like mature in Christ, these people in this, this stage of, of the journey outward long to see others flourish in Jesus. These people, their leg twitches every time I talk about encouraging devotional lives. Like you're like, yes, I want to see others. I see Blair's like this. I want to see others really rise. Like, you know, I want to see others encounter the life that's found in this private world with Jesus. Like they're opening their homes. They're, they just love people and they love seeing people um, uh, develop uh, this deep, rich communion with God. And after stage five, people don't get stuck normally, which is kind of cool, because what happens is they, they move to this lovely, lovely phase, which is where we all long to be, where we just begin to live a life of love. If you look at like 1 and 2 John and 3 John, it was a very short little letter, um, you just see the, the, the John the Apostle, who's, who's who's writing this, they're the latest letters written in the epistles. His gospel is the latest gospel to be written. He's not only encountered the resurrection of Jesus and the birth of the early church, he sat in the presence of God and communed with him for decades. And then he writes the gospel of John. He writes 1 and John 2, 1, 1 John, 2 John, which is all gushy love, 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 love. God is love if you love him. He loves you and you'll love others. And love, 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 love. And it's just this thing. He's just like, he's just the, the apostle of love. And he used to be the son of thunder, arguing and yelling. And he becomes the, he becomes the apostle of love, where he's just, um, and I haven't reached this stage, so I've got to look at other good <laughs> I was trying to work out percentages for me personally about what different stages are. And I'm like, man, God, I'm like, can you give me 1%? I'll be real happy with one or two percent of here. Like, there's a whole lot of percentages in other categories. Um, but, but listen to this. At this stage, we reflect God to others in the world more clearly and consistently than we ever thought possible. We let our light shine in such a way that God has given the credit and the thanks. We are at peace with ourselves, fully conscious of being the person God has created us to be. We have little ambition for being well-known, rich, successful, noteworthy. We are like vessels into which God pours His Spirit constantly overflowing, Spirit-filled but in this quiet and assuming way. These people have the... There's the, the authors talk about this idea of a, of a, um, of a new naivety, like of a fresh naivety. So it's like, you know, in the, when you first come to faith, like there'll be a certain worship album that is precious to you because that was the thing you played nonstop when you came to faith, right? That's normal. That might be everyone, but for a lot of people, it's like, man, you could, you could probably tell, let's have a chat after church. What was that album, right? It's like, there's just another Kevin Prosh one for me. There's a few other delirious. A few like, man, there's some albums there that were just key for me. And interestingly for me, as, uh, as I began to journey through some of these other stages, um, there were times where I couldn't listen to worship music. You know, I used to love it in terms of a corporate thing, and it wasn't like I was cynical about it. Or I loved God. I'd come to a church service, and I loved it, and I would worship Him. But in terms of the week-to-week stuff, it was like there was just stuff going on that made me feel uncomfortable about remembering some of the stuff from that time and whatever. I can't explain it. It's a bit weird. But it was kind of a deconstruction thing going on, whatever. Uh, interestingly, in recent six months, <laughs> uh, 
I just can't play these albums enough, you know? And it's like, I'm just, in a sense, tasting, I think, a little bit of what the author's talking about, this fresh naivety, where it's like the best of childhood wonder and the wisdom of old age in one place. Now, that's not me, but that's the dream, where it's like, like my, I've talked about my grandfather a lot in this church, but it's like my grandfather was this guy, no doubt. Like, this is why I love preaching this sort of stuff. This is why Galatians 5 is not just a pipe dream. It, it is the dream. It's like, that's maturity. That's what we're talking about here is that you, you're just so fruity. You could eat, you know, you could eat my grandmother. So, and it's like, so, and like, so Pop, like, you'd hang out with him and he was just, he was, he was this guy. He was just life of love all over. He hadn't read any of this. It was just what God did, right? Which is why, again, I think it's helpful when I read it. I'm like, oh, I can recognize that journey in some people. Because you'd look at Pop, you've got to pop in here, like look at the, the, the flowers in his garden, and it was utter wonder. Like, this is a guy who went World War II, wife committed suicide, he was never in full-time ministry, he just worked as a you know accountant in a car yard. I mean, just just lived his life, lots of pain, lots of suffering, and he just at every intersection from what I can see, he's like, I surrender all. Every intersection, I surrender all. Pain, doubt, working through, I surrender rule. And then so like you hang out with Pop in his 70s and 80s and 90s, which is when I've got vivid memories of him, and it's like, oh, look at that, Sam. Isn't that amazing? And I'm like, flower, you know? And it's like, oh, amazing. You know, and then like you play a little song in the guitar to show off, you know, what you've been learning at, you know, the guitar. Wow. How do you do? Oh, is it? You know, and it's like you're just hanging out with him, and it's like just it's like love. It was just like the I'm not doing it justice because the presence of God was like just flowing out of everything he said, and he was just such an inspiring man. We we um, Eli's middle name, our, our eldest boy is Bruce, to honour him, I was like, just what can I do to honour this guy who, whose legacy continues, even though he's, he's been passed away many years now, uh, not because of any full-time ministry he did or anything like that, but because he lived a life of love. I don't know if he preached a message at church ever, but, but my whole family, I've said this before, but our whole family was not a Christian. He became to faith in World War II and just prayed for everyone in our family and over the decades just put lines through everyone. Everyone came to faith. Because he just prayed and he was a faithful witness to God. And even in his suffering, especially through his suffering, God did such a deep work that he became a person who lived a life of love. This is the goal of the spiritual journey is to become love. Not the love of our culture, which is like tolerate everyone, do what you want with your body and be nice to people, right? Not the love of our culture. The, the, the love revealed by Jesus on the cross self-giving, sacrificial love that comes from such a deep place, you cannot fake it. That's the goal. The decision to, in your heart to put the good of the other ahead of the good out of, your, of your own, out of sheer delight and compassion. That's the dream. <laughs> Who's like, oh, got a long way to go? <laughs> this is because we look at Jesus. He's the example. He's the one, right? Yes, we've got a long way to go. But, but hopefully you ache for this, you long for it. Hopefully that, that uh, you um, this morning understand that this isn't a pipe dream, this is what God loves doing. And hopefully this puts in context those intersections that you, every one of you will face around whether you say, I surrender all or not. No one sees it but God. You know it though, eh? You know. You know you're in those moments where you're like, will I surrender it all or will I hold on 
to this other stuff for control or for security or for identity or whatever. And the invitation, he, he, will, he will not force you, but he'll, he'll conspire to bring you to an intersection. And can I just say with all of my heart, choose Jesus. Choose Jesus. Choose Jesus. So uh, this is the, the, the journey for us. Next slide, Grant. Uh, it is not a linear. <laughs> it's this. And uh, so we've got we to be patient with each other because, um, uh, and, and God's been doing this in my heart a whole lot. You know, I want it to be so much more tidy at Bay Vineyard. I want to just methodically help people become more like Jesus. And it's like over summer, God was like, it's that line there, Harvey, chill out. You know, it's just let me be God and let me do things. You just do your bit and chill out. So I'm trying to be a lot more chilled this year around people's journeys, and that's all good. But I am going to get my pom-poms out every week. Choose Jesus, choose Jesus, choose Jesus. It's worth it. It's the richer life. And, and the reality is you're going to die. Like it's all for nothing. All of that security and control and money and status. It's just at the end of the day, and interesting in that one John passage, I finished with, or kind of maybe finished with this. He said, at the end of that one John passage, he says, Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Now, Jesus is... Uh, hinting at what will happen for Simon Peter, where uh, tradition has it that he um, he uh, he was crucified, and he 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 said, "I want to be crucified upside down. I don't count myself worthy to be crucified like Jesus was crucified." But he was led where he didn't want to go, right? But also, there's this movement from childhood and from from the younger years where we have control to an elderly life where someone else will dress you, <laughs> someone else will lead you, perhaps where you do not want to go. Like, you, we are all going to lose a, a sense of control of our lives. And the question is, at that point, will we look back and say, I'm so grateful because I surrendered all. I surrendered all, I surrendered all, I surrendered all. And there's just a fruitfulness to your life because of your faithfulness to Jesus. A fruitfulness to your life because of your faithfulness to Jesus where your grandchildren are going to be impacted and, where, uh, and where, um, where you can look and just go, I sunk deeper and deeper and deeper into the love of God and I yielded myself again and again and again to the mercy of God and I said yes to trusting God over and over and over and again and I became a fruity person. <laughs> I became a nice old person. I became a person who just carries the goodness of God. Last thing, stage one humbles us as we recognise that God is there. Stage two grounds us. Stage three rewards and exalts us. Stage four unsettles us and the wall in that space often unmasks us. Stage four transforms us and, trans, and stage six transcends us. And at every stage we're invited to surrender trust and in doing so move towards a life soaked in the love of God and a conduit for the love of God. Let's stand together and pray.